welcome to the Women's Football Podcast. My name is Chess Warren and this is our look at the beautiful game from the Champions League to the National League and beyond. Joining me this week is Liv Griffiths and the women's football writer for The Sun, Sandra Broby. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you and I hope you're well. Yeah, very much so. Thanks for coming on as always. There's lots to talk about this weekend, so we might as well just get into it, but we should head to the midweek first. On Wednesday, two massive WSL games as Manchester City won 6-0 at home against Birmingham. It took a while for the deadlock to be broken, but once it did, the floodgates opened. Two from Georgia Stanway, were added by Lauren Hemp, Alana Kennedy, Chloe Kelly and Laura Coombs, which capped off a miserable night for Birmingham and meant that Birmingham was relegated. It's also worth noting that even though Birmingham have now officially been relegated, Darren Carter has won the manager of the month for April, which shows how strong he's been at this time for the Blues. Arsenal, on the other hand, won the North London derby at the Emirates 3-0. Beth Mead's goal and a Caitlin Ford double helped Arsenal move one point off leaders Chelsea, which meant it all went down to this weekend. Tottenham, though, almost got a late consolation when Angela Addison missed from the penalty spot in stoppage time. I did watch the game, and to be honest, it was a little bit dull. Aston Villa player Rusha Littlejohn said in her midweek podcast that Arsenal didn't really seem to get out of third gear for the entire game. They were dominant, but it wasn't really in a particularly exciting way. Apart from Josie Green playing for Tottenham, who decided to have a bit of a dirty game, producing one or two, let's say, arguments between the players. Tensions arose and there's a wonderful photo of Katie McCabe looking like she's about to take out a lineup of about eight Spurs players. Obviously, we don't condone any type of violence here on the podcast, but... With rivalries like this, doesn't it make it a little bit more exciting when they kind of all spill over? Sandra, what do you think? Um, I mean, well, certainly, I mean, rivalries in terms of football are entertaining, certainly for the fans. They're memorable. I mean, if you if you look at Arsenal, sorry, to, but moving away from, say, um, the women's game, but in just over the years that the rivalry that, that, that their Premier League team had with Man United, people still talk about that, like, you know, the rivalry between... Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane. I mean, obviously, like you say, it's the dirty, dirty tackles and tackles which could potentially seriously injure a player are not something you want to see. But at the same time, it's sometimes good to have a little bit of feistiness so long as it's within boundaries, so long as it doesn't end with a crunching tackle on a player that sees them, you know, or an injury that sees them going off. That you know, like I noticed obviously during that game, Katie McCabe and Maeve uh, Clemeron from Tottenham were at it. And they were at it at the, the game at the Hive as well. You know, I remember there's a again there's a picture of McCabe. I think where she actually pushing a little bit of pushing and shoving with uh, Clemeron when um, Tottenham drew uh, drew with Arsenal at the Hive. And you can see there's obviously some a little bit of a rivalry between them two. But obviously, you know, it's good to have rivalry and banter within limits and boundaries, so long as it doesn't spill over, you know, if it's from fans on social media, so long as it doesn't spill over into abusive trolling, or if it's on the pitch, so long as it doesn't spill over into a serious injury for a player. But rivalry is a part of what makes football entertaining. When you look at, say, abroad, for example, PSG women, their fans, you know, their ultras, are, the support they have from them is electric. And it, it kind of, it gives the game energy, but at the same time, you don't want it to be abusive or spilling over into something that's just not healthy. Yeah, it's a brilliant way to put it. Really brilliant way to put it. 
In contract news, though, for Arsenal, Steph Catley signed a new two-year deal this week, as did Jonas Eideval, who was pictured alongside Mikel Arteta as they were both signing their deals on the same day, which feels like a kind of a good PR move from Arsenal as it highlights both managers. And they're not always the best of including the women with their men's media strategy. But on to this weekend, which is what we're all talking about, it was a title showdown between Arsenal and Chelsea. Arsenal were away at West Ham with Chelsea at home to Manchester United. The Gunners needed to win and they needed to hope that Chelsea slipped up. It was a goalless half down in East London, but it all stepped up in the second half as Cena Blacksenius came on as a sub and scored with virtually her first touch. And Steph Catley celebrated her new contract by thumping in a second. We were all waiting on tender hooks to see whether it would be enough for Jonas Eideval's side. But Chelsea versus Manchester United at a sold-out Kings medal was truly a spectacle. United had never won at the ground, and realistically, the pressure was off for them as they needed City to lose to Reading for them to keep their third-place spot, which realistically was looking like a bit too much of an ask. And you can tell when this United side play without pressure. Martha Thomas shocked the home crowd by putting home a goal in the 13th minute and Cuthbert responded by equalising five minutes after. Tooney then slid another past AKB and as the half-time whistle blew, the Red Devils were the unlikely leaders to one up. It's actually really notable that United dominated the midfield in the first half. Chelsea looked worried and they couldn't really seem to string a pass together to save their lives. But at half-time, Emma Hayes bore on G and everything changed. Chelsea looked like a whole new side. Kerr equalised just after the break, and then Wrighton put another pass Erps to make it 3-2. A nasty tackle on Leah Galton from Bright forced her off the pitch and onto crutches, and in the 66th minute, probably what will go down as one of the goals of the season, Sam Kerr, with a half-volley lob off her chest, put the ball into the back of the net to secure the title for Chelsea. The game ended 4-2. Well, that's it. Chelsea have won the WSL title for the third year in a row and it all came down to the last game. Was there ever any doubt, though, that this side would come out victorious? Sandra, what do you think? I mean, that, that first half, Man United's performance in the first half was exceptional. And, and you just the way they, ca- they came out fighting, very fast start, were on the attack straight away. I think within the first um, 10 minutes, Golton had a, a shot on goal. And even at just before half time, um, I think Jon uh, Anderson might have given the ball away. And I think it might have gone to Golton. And she, again, she tried to fire at goal, and, but Anne Katrinberger uh, caught it. But in that first half, you just it just looked like Chelsea were wobbling the way Man United were playing. But... As you mentioned, the, the, the halftime substitutions really did make the difference. And like, I mean, you talk about instant impact. Beth England and G. So Young really did make the difference, particularly with um, that goal that um, Sam Kerr scored in the 46th minute. And then you, they did, you know, Chelsea just took it up a level and, and found their way to win. And in, in a way, that game kind of encapsulated their season, like coming back slightly later on when they have, when they have to, to, to get the win. And, and what, what's been impressive about Chelsea this season in terms of how they've retained the title is the different ways they found to win, like against Aston Villa, for example, scoring in, you know last-ditch goal in injury time, just finding that, that will and that way to win. It was a, an impressive display by United first half, but an even better kind of fight back from Chelsea, although it's unfortunate that Leah Galton was injured in that way. And after the game, I mean, Mark Skinner wasn't happy and just it felt that, you know, that, you know, the tackle on her warranted a yellow card, which he didn't get. Mm. 
as you said, they did look really shaky in that first half, though. Xi was the real glue that held them together to allow them to secure the win, I think. Should Emma Hayes be worried that she's leaving in the summer? Who would be your replacement for her? Should they look elsewhere or will it be in-club recruitment? I mean, I imagine they'll be doing some recruitment in the summer because obviously apart from G, you've got Drew Spence going, Yon Anderson's going and she's someone they turn to every so often. She might not be a first-team starter, but she was someone they turn to every so often. Plus, Melanie Loopholz is is on maternity leave. And obviously they've got young talents coming through, some of whom are currently on loan. But um, within the club, obviously, Fran Kirby's another exceptional playmaker but obviously she's out at the moment out of action so I don't think they'll be worried I think you know if they need to they'll recruit whoever they need to to fill fill the gaps that that they're currently in the squad I don't think they'll be worried because I think what we've seen from Chelsea over the years they're used to bringing in talent where they need to like when they sign Sam Kerr and Peniel Harder and look at the difference they've made so I don't think it'll be I mean geez a huge huge loss but I think Chelsea are very smart with their recruitment, so they'll find a way. Even though they lost, do you think that Manchester United put in a performance to be proud of, especially some of the English girls? Zellum, I think, in particular, had quite a strong game with her assist. Although they didn't secure Champions League spot in the end, they did finish 10 points ahead of Tottenham, who are sitting in fifth. Liv, do you think it's starting to look a little bit more like a top four instead of top three? Yeah, I think I think Manchester United have to realise that they've got to look at it as a long-term project and success isn't going to come to them overnight. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, still quite a new team coming into the WSL and they've been, they have been consistent here, there and everywhere. And, you know, perhaps if Manchester City, those players didn't return from injury, we'd probably be looking at a different story. But um, I think I think the work is there and I think Mark Skinner coming in, replacing Casey as well and just the way that he lines up that team, you can see it in them. Like they have a better mentality, but it's just, like I said, a long-term project for them. Mm. I like what he's doing, but I am a sucker for a 4-2-3-1, so you can't really go wrong with it. <laughs> On the red side of London, though, Jonas Eidevel said that he felt empty, but was also quick to congratulate Emma Hayes and Chelsea. Arsenal have been much improved, but the dropping of silly points, most notably against Birmingham, ultimately did cost them the league. Sandra, if you're looking at Arsenal's season, what would be the thing that you would say that they need to tighten up on? It's, I mean, they, it was almost a near flawless season. It's just, I mean, technically, maybe if Chelsea hadn't been as, as good as they are, then Arsenal would have won. Um, you know, I mean, that's a very obvious thing to say, but... Uh, it's just the things like, like you say, performances against a, a, a team like Birmingham, you, you, you need to be winning that game. You're not expecting Birmingham to, to beat Arsenal 2-0. And then I think, was it against Man City when they had the draw? Was it a draw against Man City? Was it a point they got? Well, I think there was one game where Tobin Heath... It was a draw, yeah. Yes, it was a yeah. draw, yeah. So Tobin Heath lost minute. Yeah, I mean, they got a point there. But again, it's like as tough as Man City are. I think they hadn't had the full complement of players back. So you'd want to win that game too so it's about that Birmingham loss in particular I mean it's something that the Arsenal players themselves have mentioned like um, Vivian Miedema obviously mentioned it after yesterday's game that just dropping points there and then obviously Beth Mead mentioned it that that Birmingham game too and it's that that thing of the teams that you're you should be you have to beat you know particularly when you're up against teams like Chelsea and Man City who when they're firing on all cylinders and they've got all their players fit, they're not, you know, they rarely drop points so it's it's just those things of when you're you're facing teams lower down the table who you've beaten many times and you on paper people people are expecting that you you just hope that you need to get those three points 
I think that Birmingham game was quite unique, though, because didn't the kickoff change only a few days before? It, I think it went yeah. from a yeah, it went from a two o'clock to a six forty-five because it was shown on TV. I just wonder whether that changes a player's mentality as well. You know, having later kickoffs, or you know, having to having to change their style. And I mean, I'm I'm not an athlete, so I don't know things like times of when you eat and when you train and stuff like that. I just feel like Arsenal were a little bit hard done by with that change. I guess it was a t- tumultuous time as well because this was during it was during the Asia Cup and you were seeing a lot of um, a lot of games being cancelled elsewhere because of COVID. I mean, Jonas came out with claws out last week, coming out and saying when he was asked about, "Oh, are you focusing on the Chelsea result?" and he turned around and said, "Well, we weren't focusing on them when we played Birmingham and Chelsea cancelled their game because they didn't have Sam Kerr." So I guess it was whether that's true or not, whether it was just said for a little bit of effect, but it was a tumultuous time that they were playing that game. So maybe with the mentality, it had something to do with it. But I guess when you're a footballer, you're expected to get these results week in, week out, whether it happens or not kind of doesn't matter. But it's that kind of that test of kind of strength that you need to consistently get those results. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just, you know, finding that that way to win, just being able to to make sure that you get the points when you need to. That result for Chelsea, though, against Manchester United meant that Man City have cemented third place and qualified for the Champions League even after their shaky start to the season as they beat Reading 4-0 at the Majeski Stadium to finish five points clear of their Manchester rivals. A Lauren Hemp and a Bunny Shaw tap-in had City 2-0 up at half-time and two goals from Ellen White heading in from a corner and an Alex Greenwood penalty late on sealed the deal. Ten goals in two games means it's a very strong end to the season for Manchester City. That slow start really cost them for the title race, but have they ended it strong, Liv? What do you think? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, we were saying earlier, if those injuries had stayed, we'd be looking maybe at Man United finishing third. But it just shows that when they have a full squad, how good Manchester City are. And I think next season, it's not going to be a two-way race at all. And then I wouldn't be surprised if Manchester City could actually take over from Arsenal. I just think they've just got a bit more depth in their squad. And like, you know, having Chloe Kelly back, Lauren Hemp, I mean, fantastic players, so young and still growing as well. So yeah, really, really strong end to the season. And I think they'll be ready to go again next season. Yeah, not to go all Neil Warnock die for the three points, but City just seem to want it more when they are turning up in these big occasions. Do you think that if they strengthen right, it will be a three-horse race next season or even a two-horse race between them and Chelsea? Sandra, what do you think? When you look at City and what have you, I mean, they, they've been, the, the finish they've had to this season has been quite impressive and what have and it's one of the strongest teams definitely in the WSL. The recovery they've had this season has been remarkable. Two-horse race, I'm not too sure. When you Going forward in terms of the next season, I think Arsenal will still be in there. I think it will be more the three of them. With United, for I think they'll, again, it'll be hard for them, I think, to break in as yet. And depend, but I guess it all depends on what happens with their, their transfer strategy in the summer and who they bring in, particularly who they bring in up top in, um, and in, in the midfield. Um, I guess it's one of a kind of wait and see, so to speak. They've got silverware still to go as it's the FA Cup final next weekend. We're going to preview that later on. Spurs played their last home game against Leicester at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
it was Spurs who created the chances against a Leicester side who went into the game safe in the knowledge that they were going to stay up in the WSL this season. Ashley Neville was a live wire throughout and she got the goal on 69 minutes heading home Jessica Naz's cross. It was a much improved side from Rianne Skinner's side this season. Will there be slight frustration that they didn't push in to grab fourth place or... Sandra, do you think they can still be pleased with this season's work? I think they can still be pleased because this is the highest finish for them in the WSL since promotion. Uh, you look at some of the results they had this term. Obviously, they beat uh, City away, although some some people might say, well, they beat City away when during this time when City had a lot of uh, first team players out injured. But at the same time, they also, you know, they drew with Arsenal um, at the Hive, which is the first time they've ever got a point off Arsenal in a North London derby. I think the pace in which they've progressed is remarkable when you consider Ryang Skinner coming in late last season, towards the end of the year um, uh, last season, and then the, the, the work that she's done, the scale of it and the, the, the speed of which they've improved is, is remarkable. And it's, I guess, in the summer, we'll probably see new additions. I, I gather the thing that for them and something she spoke about is consistency and then also wanting to finish chances when you're in those good positions in the box in the final third and they'll probably address that I imagine in in the transfer window so for them once they get uh, some really good finishes to add to the talent they have there in Jessica Nass for example and Rachel Williams then they're, they're really going to be a, a threat particularly to uh, the, the top three and to Man United in terms of their performances against them. Liv though for Leicester do you think that this season has been the great escape achieved or was it a job well done that they managed to stay up? It is a, it is a job well done because we've talked before about sometimes the gap between the championship and the WSL might be a bit challenging for some teams. So the fact that they came up and they stayed up, I think they'd be very happy. However, overall, I don't think the season's successful for them. I think they've been quite lucky and reliant on Birmingham's downfall, even the likes of Everton underperforming, Aston Villa kind of slipped off towards the end as well. So I don't think it's going to be sort of talked about that much, but actually I don't think Leicester has been a very successful story this season. And they're definitely a team that's going to have to sort of bolster their squad in the summer because at the moment, there's just, you know, Jess Sigmuth was really unlucky to get that injury, but there's just no one scoring those goals for them. So Liverpool have been in, in the WSL before. Matt Beard's a great coach. So they'll be very lucky again to um, stay up if they don't change, if they don't change it next season going in. It's really interesting because Manchester United came up from the championship and have been chronically fourth place ever since. But Leicester have also had a big injection of funding and investment from their parent club. What do you think it is that they need to do to really compete? Is it strategic recruitment? Liv, what do you think? It's difficult because you are right. When we saw some of the transfers going in, there were names that you'd you'd seen in the WSL before. Um, They all had experience, but I think it's, I know it's so, we talk about it all the time, but mentality, I just... I don't look at Leicester and think, okay, who's a strong leader? Like, who's a strong captain? Who's going to sort of pick them up um, when they're they're knocked down? And I think that's what they need more of. They need a bit more experience. Like, you know, some of the older players who are perhaps coming to the end of their careers, like another loan spell, go to Leicester, sort of pick them up, you know. And But, yes, it's a really difficult one to sort of put your finger on. But, um, yeah, hopefully next season they'll be able to um, be a little bit more successful. Sandra, what do you think about Leicester's performance this season? 
I, I was, I, I'm actually quite impressed with, um, with what uh, Lydia Bedford's done when you consider how, how it was when they, you know, the many games that they were losing at the start and it just, that, that streak they were on, um, to kind of bring a bit of stability and to, to get them, even though, you know, the, the finish of the season, um, you know, the, the last, the tail end of the season hasn't been so great, the, the main focus was survival and she's done that. And she's done that with a squad that's mostly quite young. Quite many of them have not got um, WSL experience. Got young up and coming talents like Shannon O'Brien, who you know, she, before she was at Leicester, before moving to Leicester, which I think she moved there last season. She was at, at Coventry and she was working part time and juggling her football along with with a, another job. So to get these performances and uh, out of them in order to survive, I think it's quite good. But yeah, I mean they'll need to. Again, next season is going to be far tough, obviously, with Liverpool coming back in. So, you know, it, it'll be a huge undertaking. But I think, you know, job done in terms of they need to survive and they've done that. Over to Birmingham, though, the Midlands derby between Aston Villa and Birmingham at Villa Park saw the Blues bow out of the WSL on a high note. Jade Pennock had already served a warning to Villa when her shot hit the bar. And they did take the lead when Greek international via tricky Surrey's cross looped over an unfortunate Hannah Hampton for her third goal of the season. The crossbar at the Holt end was rattled again this time from Rachel Corsi as Darren Carter's side held on for a third win of their campaign. I know we did mention it earlier about Darren Carter winning manager of the month in May, but he's improved the team. Do you think it will give them hope for next season? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's kind of... Got- built a kind of good team spirit there. You, you felt there was like a, a kind of siege mentality, so to speak, which they needed to have towards the end uh, of the season. I mean, the win, they, they, their, their performance against Brighton was impressive, like, you know, very gritty. You know, when they had their chances, they were clinical. They dug it out and they defended really well. Emily Ramsey in goal that time was really good. Um, and I mean, they'll be gutted, obviously, to go down first time for them in the history, of, in, their, in terms of their WSL history. But they're... If he stays, because he hasn't confirmed whether he'll stay on or not, but you're assuming he, he will do from the way he's talking. There's, you know, there are certain players there that if he can persuade them to stay, they've got a nuclei that can help be if they strengthen and do what they need to do. There's, you know, they've got the, the, the makings to try and get back into the WSL. I and mean, he talks a lot about the rebuild and rebuilding the club and addressing some of the things that popped up last season, which everyone talks about in terms of you know, facilities and other bits and bobs. And, and he's, he seems to keen on this rebuild and rebuilding the club and also changing the perception of the club. So, you know, you'd expect that if he stays and if, he, if they give him, they back him to do what he needs to do, that there's a good chance they'll come straight back up again. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the backing there because Siobhan Chamberlain said last night on the Women's Football Show that there's no reason why Birmingham can't bounce straight back in. But she said that it needs commitment and it can't be treated as a side project. Liv, do you think they could legitimately yo-yo back up into the WSL or is that gap too much for them to face right now? It's a difficult one because we, we say that the championship is probably the hardest one to get out. There's only one spot. And, you know, the likes of, okay, Liverpool ran away with it this season, but it's been very tight the last few few years as well um so it kind of like you said it, it is going to depend on whether it's going to he's if Darren's going to get the, the chance to sort of like be financially backed up um if they're going to retain the players because a lot of these players as well are quite experienced will they want to leave and jump ship so it all depends really on how that squad is going to look from the relegated squad now to what 
what's going to come in September. But I, I do hope that they go back up. It's a, they're a big club, Birmingham, and the last few years have been tough. Obviously, we could see that there were problems. Carla Ward left, and you know, until recently, they've only just moved back into St Andrews because they were playing at Solihull Moors. So it does feel like the women's team was, you know, not not looked at the same as the men's first team. So. It really, really depends on on the owners and whether they're going to back the manager, but we'll have to wait and see. Mm. For the other side in Birmingham, though, Aston Villa, the season seems to have kind of fizzled out a little bit, but again, it has been an improvement from the last season. And with Carla Ward at the helm, they'll be looking to push again and get into those higher spots in the WSL table. Sandra, if you were Carla Ward, what would your summer look like when you're going to be trying to build on this squad? Well, obviously, you've got Remy Allen, who was key to them this season, being out with um, the ACL injury. Anita Asante's retiring. Jill Scott was on loan. And, you know, do they try and extend Jill Scott's loan, for example? I think it's it, maybe they'll probably want to strengthen in midfield and defence again. Obviously, Anna Patton went back to Arsenal, so they'll, they'll probably want to bolster midfield uh, and defence again. And maybe um, look at additions, perhaps one or two kind of squad additions for the front line. I suspect it will be about, you know, maybe adding in to the, the, the midfield and, the, and defence. I mean, they've got Hannah Hampton there as their first choice goalkeeper, Sean Rogers there as a backup who was. She had a very good performance against Man United, although obviously, you know, the game against Arsenal was a heavy loss, but she's got she's a good goalkeeper. So they've got two good goalkeepers. Carla Ward came out and said that she would be really interested to carry on that conversation with Manchester City about a potential Jill Scott move, whether it be on loan again or something a little bit more permanent. Do you think that that is something realistically that could happen for Carla Ward's side? I guess it depends. I mean, with with, with Jill Scott, she's keen. Her, her objective, obviously, with the, the loan moves that she's done is, is minutes, isn't it? You know, obviously, she wanted to get those minutes ahead of the Euros. And then you've got a World Cup coming up next year. So she's still, you know, for next season, she's she won't want to be on the bench. So uh, I, I can imagine if if City can come to an arrangement, I wouldn't I'd be I would be not be surprised to see her at Aston Villa next season. I mean, she's done well for them there. It was a good blend to have two very experienced senior defenders, both of whom were international caliber, and Anita Asante and Jill Scott together in that you know around the kind of midfield slash defence for, for Aston Villa. I think she would be, it'd be a great boost if, if she was to continue there for Villa. And I guess as well, if she does go to Aston Villa, it won't be too far of a commute for a coffee shop. So, you yeah, know, you've absolutely. got to look at it from yeah, all angles, isn't things. it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A bit further down south, though, it was an entertaining final game of the season down on the south coast as Brighton and Everton played out an entertaining draw. Natalie Bjorn's goal had separated the sides at halftime, but Aileen Whelan, on her final appearance for the Seagulls after five years of service, drew Hope Powell's side level. After Anessa Kagman's effort had smacked off the bar, Kagman hit the post late on in what seemed to be a lot of woodwork hitting across the league in general this weekend. They've been denying all of the goals. These two sides, though, I have found them kind of a little bit underwhelming. What do you think? Uh, with with Brighton, they had like a kind of decent start early early on, and then I mean, and it was interesting watching their their game against City because, you know, they they they've got a lot of grit and and they can be quite hard to break down. Despite that hefty scoreline, I mean, they battled back twice. You know, brought it to three two, 
you know, City kind of looked a little bit wobbly in that, that first half when Brighton came back. And then they came very close in the beginning of the second half to making it three all. Now, you make sure you kind of like a sliding doors moment there. You kind of thought, now, if Julie Zigiotti had, had, had scored and it went to 3-3, three, three, what would have happened with, you know, with them being levelled? Does the mindset change? But, I mean, obviously, City took it up a gear and just blew them away. Um, with, Bright with Brighton, I mean, Hope Powell talks a lot about consistency in terms of, you know, sometimes they'll get like a win and then they'll, they might go and, you know, lose to a team they're not, they're not expecting to. And it's just kind of like getting that string of results um, in a row for them. Hope Powell, I imagine, will, will strengthen and address areas that she thinks will need to be addressed to, so that she can improve on those areas that she talks about in terms of consistency. Uh, we know that Aileen Whelan's gone, so they'll want to re replace her. As for Everton, I mean, the, the good thing for them, they've got a new manager coming in who will come in with fresh ideas, fresh impetus. They've got some very good internationals there. You look the likes of like Kenza Dali. They've got um, Hannah Benison, who's one of the, the most promising young players in Europe, one of the promising young players in um, Sweden. So there's a lot to look forward to in that team. And, and I'm sure they can get back to that point, you know, when people are saying that's the team that's going to be challenging City, Arsenal and Chelsea for top three dominance. So they might be able to get that back. Oh my goodness. I was on, I was driving that Everton for top three train before yeah. the start of the season. And then kind of the first game ha happened where they lost 4-0 to Manchester City and everyone kind of sat back and were like, oh, maybe we were a little bit presumptuous with all of these signings coming in. But it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of bounce back when they bed in next season. Liv, what do you think about both Brighton and Everton's performance this season? I think Sandra summed it up pretty well. Um, I think, you know, Brighton started off so well at the start of the season. You kind of thought it was going to be, to be between them and Spurs to sort of hold on to fifth and sixth, but just wasn't consistent enough. And as for Everton, I mean, there's some sort of patterns there. Like when the men's team do really well, so do the women's. And now they're both having terrible seasons. So maybe they change that water supply that we go on about at Everton. <laughs> but um, I think for them, they've just not had time to settle. And obviously now with a new manager coming in, hopefully they can just restart and recharge their batteries and get back to where they belong, which is probably the top half of the table. Very, very well put. But that's it. That's the end of the WSL season. It feels like it's gone very, very quickly. But ladies, first of all, what are your overall thoughts on the season? And if you could pick a player of the season, who would you pick? Liv, I'm going to dob you in it. You've got to go first. Oh, that's so hard because it's not been my favourite season, to be honest. Um, I enjoyed the two-legged race between Chelsea and Arsenal. I didn't think it would come down to the last day of the season. Um, so I'll have to go all the way back into September with um, the Arsenal-Chelsea game at the Emirates. I think I think that kind of set the tone. And yeah, that was a, an excellent game. Some great goals there. And as for my player, it's so easy to pick someone like Sam Kerr, who's obviously got a golden boot. But I think there's been a couple of the Chelsea players who have been sort of dark horses. I've really enjoyed Erin Cuthbert this season. I think she came on leaps and bounds and oh, Guru Wrighton as well. Didn't really know much about her as a player, but she was popping up out and Jessie Fleming. So kind of that midfield and that sort of engine that was driving Chelsea all season. So, but I can only have one. So <laughs> I'll stick with Erin Cuthbert. Cool. Sandra, what do you think? Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's like, like Liv says, it's really hard to pick one, which is a shame. I mean, I, I, I would like to pick 
so young just in terms of when they need her at Chelsea she's popped up and delivered like you know like got some of the goals she scored the performances in midfield and just in terms of her contribution to the Women's Super League in general but I, I'm going to go for, for Lauren Hemp at City only because when through all the kind of the, the injury spot that they've had throughout the season she's been there consistently with the goals with the ferocious attacking play on, on the flank for them and just one of, one of England's most promising young players certainly will be key for them in the Euros just just in terms of how she's improved the level she goes up and also humility she shows despite that those performances um I'll, I'll say Lauren Hemp. It's not the last game that these teams are going to be playing this season, though, because at the coming weekend, it is the FA Cup final at Wembley on Sunday. Chelsea are going to, going to be taking on Manchester City. And earlier of this season, of course, City beat Chelsea to win the Conti Cup, which really kind of set their season alight. This was when they started to go on that fantastic run of form. We will be there, which is super exciting. So make sure to follow us on all of our social media to keep up with our coverage. If that's your sort of thing, I'm going to be cracking jokes, as I always like to do. But Liv and Sandra, how do you kind of see this game going? Are we going to get a repeat of the Conti Cup final? Because both City and Chelsea look to be in very, very good form at the moment. Um, I mean, it's either, yeah, they're both looking both dangerous. Like Chelsea have come into good form and have started to show ways of winning when they're at times of, of, of adversity. But, uh, but then you look at City and look at Khadija Shaw, with the goal she's, you know, knocking in for them, that, that kind of, and also Ellen White still scoring and, and just the link up play between Shaw and Hemp is really good. I think it's going to be a tight one. I think it might go to penalties. I don't know. <laughs> I think it might go to extra time and penalties. They're just so good, both of them at the moment. Oh, I hope so. That'd be so dramatic. Could you imagine? Lots of goals, get to penalties. Good in the end. <laughs> I agree though. It's so hard. In, I am terrible with predicting. And things. I think I did it before guessing Arsenal were going to beat Chelsea and Chelsea just blew them apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but I and now I'm going to back City. I think I think now that they're kind of back to their full squad um, and they're dangerous, like we just said, Sandra's player of the season, Lauren Hemp, you know. Um, and I just think maybe maybe there might be a little bit of a hangover from the you know the win for Chelsea. I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to say extra time. Man City will win on pens. Fair enough. I think it's gonna probably going to come down to um, whether City can finish their chances or whether Ellen White will continue her long-going love affair with the offside flag and see if we can get <laughs> stuff in the back of the net. Um, but we've also had some retirement news this week that former Manchester City Lionesses and Team GB goalkeeper Karen Bardsley has announced her retirement this week at the age of 37. As always with these things, she announced it on Twitter saying, as sad and strange as it is to be stepping away from something I've committed my life to so far, ultimately it's something I'm really proud of. I can honestly say, hand on heart, that I've left no stone unturned and I have no regrets. She's been a really great servant for women's football, hasn't she? Especially with her kind of coaching of um, of younger players coming through. What do you think is next for KB? Well, she did an interview last week and she spoke about some of the work that she's doing um, in Manchester with, with City. She's on a football board where she's helping to uh, find and develop and nurture talent coming through. And, you know, she's someone who's had, as you mentioned, she's had a huge impact on the game. I hope Powell spoke really nicely about her before the end of the week um, in terms of her memories of um, Karen Barzi when she first started playing for England. She goes, oh, 
the first time she came in, she came in with a notebook to one of our team meetings and she was writing everything down. And that's, you know, just showed you how diligent she was, the attention to detail. So, you know, and, and someone who's had a fantastic career and it'd be great for her to pass on that knowledge and, uh, you know, see her pass on that knowledge to young players, you know, goalkeepers in particular coming through. Just before we wrap up this WSL season, there has already been some movement in regard to transfers, which is super exciting. A shock one for me is Ollie Harder has stepped down as the West Ham manager after a very solid season, their best performance yet. There's now just one member of the old guard left at West Ham as Jelly Fahati leaves the club. She said that she isn't retiring from football, so I wonder where she is headed. What do you both think? Leicester. Maybe. Yeah, well, they need some experience. Yeah, Leicester would be a good one. I mean, someone who's experienced, like as Liv says, someone who's experienced as Jilly Flaherty with some of the young players there. You've got, you know, with someone like Jilly Flaherty, she's your captain. She's got all that knowledge. She's played for so many different clubs. She's won many different things, you know, experience from Arsenal. Just having someone with that knowledge and that experience to come into a team like Leicester and help young players coming through would be a good one. I mean, or, or you know, would she go to someone like Brighton? I don't know. I'm just being speculative here. Mm. But I know that obviously Hope Powell's also looking to, to the future and bringing in young talent, but it'll be interesting to see where she goes. Yeah. Definitely. Something that's a bit more certain, though, is Claire Emsley has left Everton. But this transfer is a bit more obvious as her rights were traded to Angel City in the draft this January. So I'm sure we will be seeing her stateside very, very soon. Now, before we move on, has anyone got any spicy rumours they'd like to share? I know this is all speculation, but we're going to say that all of this is completely unhinged and we're not going to we're not going to say that this is going to happen. But if it does happen, we're just going to pretend that we all have crystal balls. Liv, where do you, what's your most kind of exciting transfer rumor that you have at the moment and is there anything that you'd really like to see any movement that you'd really like to see of players oh I mean I don't spend a lot of time on on the old Twitter feed and all these gossiping rumors um because half of them are not true like you said but I would like to know where Natasha Harding is going because that's the only important transfer that I care about this um, this summer I reckon yeah, but- yeah, maybe she'll go abroad. I don't, I don't I don't quite know. I've heard whisperings of Liverpool for that. Ooh. Because apparently Liverpool are looking to get five in and there's going to be quite a big out and it would be interesting to see someone with that sort of experience coming into coming into the club. Wow. But you heard it here first. You heard it here first. And if it <laughs> and if it doesn't happen, don't listen to me. That's that's your fault for listening to someone who has to spend too much time on Twitter. Um but Sandra, what do you think? Is there well, any transfers that you'd like to see happen? I mean, with, with Drew Spence going um, from, uh, well, she obviously leaving Chelsea after the FA Cup final, will she end up somewhere like Brighton, for example, with Hope Powell? It would be interesting to see. I mean, Hope Powell, obviously, you know, she brought in Danielle Carter, um, uh, you know, following her red instinct. She likes experienced players. It'll be interesting to see whether she, whether Drew Spence ends up there, for example. Um and obviously the big one is is with Miedemar. Lots of rumours flying around about Barcelona. It's been reported earlier at the start of this season that, you know, she will, lots of reports saying, oh, she will end up there. And then, you know, on Twitter, apparently her agent started following Barcelona's <laughs> yeah, they, account. So, they yeah. liked her, yeah, her yeah. agent, liked, liked, the, t- liked, liked the tweet, yeah. and, liked yes, the tweet that said, and I checked it because yeah. I thought it was fake, yeah. not yeah. fake. Yeah, yeah. 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 so apparently, let me read that. She didn't follow, she liked a tweet, but that, 
doesn't, you know, we, we wait and see. I mean, we don't know until it's, it's you know, in, unless you see her there and she's, whether she's at Arsenal or Barcelona, we don't know, it's all speculation. And then obviously there was all the speculation around Caroline Weir and Real Madrid. But again, you know, you don't know, you just have to wait and see. But it'd be, for me, it'd be interesting to see if Drew Spence goes to um, to Brighton, for example. I mean, obviously you've got the big ones like Miedemar and and uh, Caroline Weir and what they're going to do. But it'd be interesting to see if, if um, Drew Spence, where she goes after she leaves Chelsea after such a long spell there. Definitely. I think that's that's a good that's a good note to end it off on because we know that Drew Spence is, that has left Chelsea and she's going somewhere. So it's where she's going to go. But talking about up north, though, up in Scotland, a historic moment as Rangers claim their first Scottish Women's Premier League title after holding Glasgow City to a nil-nil draw. City had won the preceding 14 top flight titles. Rangers' previous best finish was runner-up in 2014. Malky Thompson's side had won 24 out of their 26 games so far this season. Rangers faced Celtic in their final game of the season next week, hoping to finish the season in style. That's where we're ending it today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Make sure to go and give us a like and a review on our podcast. Thank you very much to our lovely guests for coming on as always. And we will see you all very, very soon. 